Welcome back, Blue Shirts fans, to episode number 116 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick. And today, we're going to be continuing with the Locked On theme of discussing some of the greatest seasons in franchise history. And we're going to continue that today with the 1979 New York Rangers, who made it to the Stanley Cup Finals, only to lose in five games to the Montreal Canadiens. But obviously, still a tremendous run there. Making it to the finals, certainly no easy task in any season. But this has not exactly been a banner week for sports. Uh, By my count, we're up to about four untimely deaths in the past week or so. And we talked about a couple of them on Monday's episode, episode number 115. Uh, Colby Cave of the Edmonton Oilers uh, dies at the age of just 25 due to a brain bleed. And again, you know, we, we talked about this on Monday, but it's just one of those strange freaky things that happens where everything seems fine one minute and then the next minute it's not fine. He has to go to the hospital and he passes away just a few days later. And then also we talked about Anthony Causey and Causey was a sports photographer for the New York Post for many, many years. He has many iconic photos that he's he's taken in that time. Uh, perhaps the most famous, the image of Mariano Rivera Running out of the Yankee bullpen, it's a picture from behind Rivera, so you kind of see it from his point of view. He's running on to the Yankee Stadium field, coming out of the bullpen, and, and just surrounded by Yankee fans. Uh, really a, a great picture there. But he died due to coronavirus, and he was just 48 years old, so obviously gone way too soon. And then we also have to talk about Hank Steinbrenner, passes away at the age of 63, and also uh, Tavares Jackson, former NFL quarterback for the Vikings and Seahawks and also the Bills. Uh, he passes away in a car accident at the age of 36. So, I mean, really, it's just, just a rough week or so here for sports, uh, about a week, you know, give or take a day. But yeah, just, just too many people uh, leaving us far too soon. To start with Tavares Jackson, I mean, you know, he entered the league as a second-round draft pick of the Minnesota Vikings. He never really developed into a franchise quarterback, as I'm sure the Vikings were hoping that he would, you know, drafting him in the second round overall. But he had a 10-year NFL career, so he lasted a long time. Played, again, for the Vikings, Seahawks, and Bills. Started 34 games in his NFL career. Something of a dual-threat quarterback before that was kind of, you know, a mainstream thing. You know, he certainly had potential to take off and run with the ball, and he could throw it as well. And he also won a Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl 48. He was the backup to Russell Wilson when the Seahawks beat the Broncos. And he is lost in a single car collision and leaves behind a wife and three children. So obviously just horrible news there. Uh, Tavares Jackson gone at the age of just 36. And then getting back to Hank Steinbrenner, I mean, we definitely have to talk about him. You know, I know it's a New York Rangers podcast, but a lot of Ranger fans are Yankee fans, and even if you're not a Yankee fan, maybe you're a Mets fan, I think certainly you can you know, appreciate us spending just a couple of minutes on Hank Steinbrenner here. But he's gone at the age of just 63, and again, that's just way too early. And apparently Steinbrenner had a long-standing health issue, which to me, I think it's mostly been kept quiet. I mean, I can't recall ever really hearing too much about this. But it's interesting to me because when... Hank Steinbrenner and Hal Steinbrenner, the brothers, when when they took over basically daily control of the Yankees from their father, George Steinbrenner, it was about 2007 when that happened. You know, George was was getting up there in age and his his health was starting to, to fail a little bit. And between Hank and Hal, I mean, Hank was clearly the more visible of the two, certainly the more outspoken of the two. Uh, he had some some great quotes when he, when he first took over there. There's one I'm going to read for you in, in just a minute here. But, I mean, just like his dad, Hank Steinbrenner, not afraid to say anything that was on his mind. Uh, he would say anything about anyone or any situation. And 
you know, the one that I'll never forget, and I, I wanted to look it up because I wanted to get the quote exactly right and to just read it back to you guys, but I do remember him kind of, like, lashing out at all this, like, forced Red Sox hysteria where, where you know, ESPN, who, again, are filled with Red Sox fans, and he talks about that. But ESPN and the Red Sox themselves just kind of trying to force Boston Red Sox into the limelight, it felt like. And he talks about the whole Red Sox Nation term, and here's his quote on Red Sox Nation from Hank Steinbrenner. Red Sox Nation? What a bunch of bull**** that is. That was a creation of the Red Sox and ESPN, which is filled with Red Sox fans. Go anywhere in America, and you won't see Red Sox hats and jackets. You'll see Yankees hats and jackets. This is a Yankee country. We're going to put the Yankees back on top and restore the universe to order. Well, when you're right, you're right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it really felt like, you know, that whole Red Sox Nation thing just kind of came out of nowhere. It's not something that happened organically where, like, you know, a a player just said Red Sox Nation and then it kind of just took off. It just kind of seemed like one day, out of the blue, out of nowhere, the Red Sox, their their whole front office and, and, you know, ESPN jumping on board as well, just saying, hey, Red Sox Nation, can you guys start calling us Red Sox Nation? Please call us Red Sox Nation. We're going to be Red Sox Nation going forward. Red Sox Nation. It felt very uh, just kind of forced. I think that's the best word for it. They, they just kind of forced it. It's not something that really just kind of spread up organically, and obviously Hank Steinbrenner letting them have it there. But then the other interesting thing to me with Hank Steinbrenner is, again, when they when him and Hal first took over, for a year or two, Hank was very visible, and again, he, he would basically you put a microphone in front of his face, and he you never knew what you were going to get. He would say anything about anyone. Uh, but then after that year or two, Hank kind of faded into the background a little bit, and, and Hal has been kind of the more uh, visible Yankee owner of the two. And I'm just throwing something out there. I don't know this for sure at all, but I do wonder now if maybe the reason that Hank kind of faded into the background over the years is because of his health. And maybe he just kind of needed to take it easy and not be as visible and not do as many interviews. Maybe it was just hard on his health. And again, I don't know that at all. It's just me trying to connect the dots a little bit. Because like I said, when he first, you know, kind of rose to power there alongside of Hal, he was very vocal. And then all of a sudden, one day, it just kind of stopped. And we really haven't heard a whole lot about Hank Steinbrenner over the years. But either way, uh, he's gone way too soon, and he's going to be missed as well. And then also, just to talk about Anthony Causey a little bit, once again, the sports photographer from the New York Post who passed away as a result of coronavirus at the age of 48. Uh, I mentioned him a little bit in our last episode, but it was getting toward the end of the episode. We were running out of time just a little bit, and I wanted to spend a little more time than we had on that episode uh, just to talk about him here today. And I mentioned, you know, the iconic picture that he took of Mariano Rivera. There's a really cool picture of Eli Manning this past season, uh, his last game with the Giants. They won the game, and there's a great picture of Eli Manning uh, hugging his daughter after his final game, and that was taken by Kazi as well. But, you know, if you Google his name, you can find a lot of the, the images that he's taken over the years in sports. There were a lot of athletes that tweeted out, you know, some nice things about Anthony Kazi. Uh, there's one here that I'm looking at from Alex Rodriguez. He tweeted, I am deeply saddened by the passing of Anthony Causey. Anthony was truly one of the best sports photographers, not just in New York City, but in the world. He was always in the right place at the right time. And A-Rod shared a couple pictures. There's a picture, actually, of A-Rod with his family on the field during his last game, last home game as a New York Yankee. And A-Rod has kind of like a surprised look on his face in this picture. It's raining. And I think that might have been, if you remember, when they were doing the pregame ceremony for A-Rod, when a, a really loud lightning bolt uh, struck not too far from the stadium. And, you know, the, the ceremony had to be delayed and everything. But Anthony Causey uh, with, with a great picture there. 
Didi Gregorius, obviously the Yankee shortstop for a number of seasons, now has moved on to the Phillies, but he tweeted, My condolences goes to the Kazi family. Anthony was a great, funny, and awesome guy to talk to and learn from about sports photography. May he rest in peace. And that's kind of an interesting one because, you know, among his baseball talents, Didi is also a, a fairly avid photographer away from the field. So that's kind of cool to know that, uh, you know, Anthony Kazi and him had kind of a rapport where uh, Kazi would teach him a thing or two about photography. So that's kind of neat right there. And Noah Syndergaard of the Mets tweets, This is devastating. Anthony was one of the best in the business, a true professional. He was kind, genuine, and a good personal friend. He will be missed by all who knew him. And another great picture that Anthony Causey took that probably a lot of you guys, if, if you're New York sports fans, you've probably seen this one before, is of Derek Jeter walking through the tunnel at Yankee Stadium, and he taps the sign above his head, the one that has the quote from Joe DiMaggio that says, I want to thank the good Lord for making me a Yankee. Anthony Causey took that picture as well. The only other thing I want to share here, uh, I have a friend at NHL.com. I never met Anthony Causey, but I have a friend that I worked with at NHL.com who it looks like, uh, judging by a Facebook post, uh, knew him pretty well. And I'm, I'm not going to, I haven't talked to my friend here, so I'm not going to you know, share his identity or anything like that. And I'm not going to read the post verbatim, but he basically just said that, you know, sports photography, which my friend also got into, uh, it's a very competitive business, and a lot of the photographers are very protective of their spots. They don't want to kind of be leaped in the pecking order, if you will. But my friend made it a point to say that Anthony Causey wasn't like that, uh, whether it was your first day on the job or, you know, you've, you've been doing it for years and you were one of the best. Uh, he treated you like a friend, and he was willing to uh, help you out with some things if you needed that as well. So by all accounts, I mean, from pro athletes to a guy I worked with at NHL.com and everything in between, I mean, it, just, it sounds like he was just universally beloved by everybody. So obviously, tremendously sad, uh, gone way too soon, and, and leaving up behind a wife and two young children as well uh, just, just makes the whole thing all the more tragic. So rest in peace to Anthony Kazi. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the 1978-1979 New York Rangers, a team that went to the Stanley Cup Finals before falling to the Montreal Canadiens in five games. The Rangers really had to take the long road to the Stanley Cup Finals this season, and I'll explain that in just a minute. It was a very unique playoff tournament bracket, uh, just as there was in 1940. This one's not quite as strange as the 1940 uh, setup, as far as the playoff bracket is concerned. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about this team. The Rangers led by Anders Hedberg, a team-high 79 points in 80 games. He scored 33 goals and 46 assists, and you're going to know a lot of these names. Phil Esposito was second on the Rangers. He skated in 80 games, scoring a team-high 42 goals, dishing out 36 assists. And then you've got Pat Hickey with 34 goals, 41 assists. Ulf Nielsen with 27 goals, 39 assists. Ron Duguay, I mean, who doesn't love Ron Duguay? 27 goals, 36 assists. Mike McEwen, 20 goals, 38 assists. Ron Greshner, 17 goals, 36 assists. Steve Vickers, 13 goals, 34 assists. And then you've got Don Maloney, who only skated in 28 games this season, but he scored nine goals and had 17 assists in those games. And Dave Maloney, 11 goals, 17 assists. And Don Maloney, like I said, you know, he only skated in the 28 games, but he was there for all of the playoff contests, skated in all 18 New York Ranger playoff games that season, comes up with seven goals and 13 assists to lead the way with 20 points in the playoffs. Phil Esposito also had 20 points in the playoff run, eight goals and 12 assists for the Rangers. And Don Maloney was actually a rookie this season. They took him with their first pick in the second round, going number 26th overall. He was, of course, the younger brother of Dave Maloney, who was already a defenseman with the Rangers. 
In goal for the Rangers at the time was, of course, John Davidson, J.D., and he handled 39 of the games that season, going 20-12-5 with a goals against average of 3.52. Wayne Thomas also manned the crease in 31 games, and Doug Soter was the goalie for 17 games. And then in the playoffs, John Davidson started all 18 games for the Rangers, really stepped up his game in the postseason this year, going 11-7 with a goals against average of just 2.28 and posting one shutout. Getting back to the playoff format this season, you had four divisions, and the four division winners all received buys into the second round of the playoffs, which was the quarterfinals. Uh, The first round of the playoff was known as the preliminary round, and that's where everybody else played. You had 12 teams in the tournament, and again, the four division winners get buys. That means the New York Islanders were the one seed as the Patrick Division champions, Montreal Canadiens the two seed as the Norris Division champions, the Boston Bruins, the three-seed as the Adams division champions. And here's where it gets weird, though. The Chicago Blackhawks were the Smythe division champions, which is 73 points, and that meant that they were 11th overall in the standings in the NHL that year. But because they won what was clearly a weak division, they ended up getting a bye into the second round of the postseason. And so that meant that the Rangers, in the first round of the playoffs, the preliminary round of the playoffs, there are eight teams involved in it, Out of those eight teams, the Rangers were the second best, and they seeded them one through eight, even though there were teams with buys waiting for them in the next round. So the Rangers, as the two-seed of the preliminary round, played the seven-seeded Los Angeles Kings. And again, we talked about this in the last episode, but man, best of three. I mean, it's just so lame. It's just such a weak way to decide uh, a playoff winner. I mean, do we want to decide... Do we want to determine the better team or not? Do we want to determine who wants it more? Or do we just want to flip a coin? You know, why not just do single elimination if you're only going to do best of three? I don't know. Have a series. Have a series. But anyway, the Rangers, as the two seed, uh, they got the job done. They beat the Kings 7-1 to in Madison Square Garden in Game 1. They go to Los Angeles at the Forum in Game 2, and they post a 2-1 to victory in overtime. And in Game 2 against the Kings, the Rangers fell behind one to nothing, and Phil Esposito ties the game at 1-11 of the third period. The game goes into overtime, and Phil Esposito strikes again 6-11 into the overtime, and he gives the Rangers the win and sends them into the quarterfinals of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And everything sort of reseeds in the quarterfinals of the playoffs. So now the Islanders, like we mentioned, they're the one seed. They had a bye. The Canadians are the two seed. They had a bye. The Boston Bruins are the three seed. They had a bye. And the Blackhawks had a bye despite once again finishing 11th overall. But because of that bad record, they are now the eighth seed, even though they had a bye, and they play the Islanders in the quarterfinals. And the Islanders actually swept the Blackhawks. The Rangers now are the five seed. They are playing the four-seeded Philadelphia Flyers, and the Rangers take down the Flyers in five games to punch their ticket to the semifinals. The Flyers took game one of this series in Philadelphia, 44 seconds into overtime. Ken Linsman scores a goal to give the Flyers a 3-2 victory, but the Rangers clearly were not bothered by this because they ripped off four consecutive wins to eliminate the Flyers, and listen to the scores of these games. Game two, also in Philadelphia, Rangers 7, Flyers 1. Game three at Madison Square Garden, Rangers 5, Flyers 1. Game four at Madison Square Garden, Rangers 6, Flyers nothing, and game five, Back at the Spectrum in Philadelphia, Rangers 8, Flyers 3. So just complete and utter domination following the Game 1 loss. Ron Greshner scores twice in Game 2. Don Maloney scores twice in Game 3. Don Murdoch scores twice in Game 4. And then in Game 5, the clincher, uh, the Rangers actually build a 5 to nothing lead in this game. They get goals from Ron Greshner, Walt Kajak, who scored twice, 
Steve Vickers, Ron Duguay, and at that point, it's 5 to nothing, and there's less than 12 minutes remaining. But the Flyers then get goals from Reggie Leach, Bob Daly, and Ben Wilson to cut the lead to 5-3 to three with less than five minutes remaining. And then the Rangers rip off another three goals. Carroll Vanice, Eddie Johnstone, and Anders Hedberg score for the Rangers. And it's on to the conference finals against who else? The New York Islanders. Islanders, once again, the top team in the NHL in the regular season, finishing with 116 points, just 91 points for the Rangers. So the Rangers going into this, uh, would appear on paper, would be the underdogs, but they take a one to nothing series lead by winning Game 1 in the Nassau Coliseum, 4-1. to Islanders come back in Game 2, and they win at the Coliseum in overtime, a goal by Dennis Potvin. So that knots the series at one game apiece. The Rangers take Game 3 back in the Garden by a score of 3-1 to and take a 2-1 to series lead, and then Game 4 once again goes into overtime, and once again, the Islanders win 3-2, a goal by Bobby Nystrom, 3:40 into the overtime period, and so once again, the series tied at 2, and the Rangers would go on then to win the next two games by scores of 4-3 in Game 5, and 2-1 in Game 6. As for Game 5, it was a tight game throughout, and then Anders Hedberg for the Rangers, scoring at 17:47 of the third period to give them a 4-3 lead, and they hang on for the win and the 3-2 series edge. And as for Game 6, Mike Bossy scores for the Islanders at 8:56 of the first period, gives the Islanders a 1-0 lead, but the Rangers strike back in the second period. Don Murdoch scores his sixth goal of the playoffs at 5:03 of the second. Ron Greshner scores his sixth goal of the playoffs at 8:45 of the second on the power play, and that was it. That was all the scoring that would happen in this game. And for the Rangers, John Davidson stopping 21 of 22 shots to lead the Rangers to the Stanley Cup Finals. And in the finals, they clash against the Montreal Canadiens. And the Canadians in the regular season finish as the number two seed, once again, the North Division champions. And so they didn't have to play in the preliminary round of the postseason. They were automatically in the quarterfinals. They sweep the Toronto Maple Leafs in the quarterfinals. And then they have just a crazy series against the Boston Bruins in the semifinals. It goes seven games, and it's a series where the home team won every single game. And not only that, but Game 7 went into overtime. And this was just a wild game. It looked like for a while that it would be the Bruins going to the Stanley Cup Finals because they led 3-1 to at one point. The Canadians come back and they tie the game about midway through the third period. And then the Bruins take a 4-3 to lead with just 3.59 remaining. Rick Middleton scores the goal. But then with just a minute 14 seconds left, Guy LaFleur scores for the Canadians on the power play, sends the game into overtime. And then at 9.33 of the overtime period, Yvonne Lambert scores to send the Canadians to the Cup. And it's Rangers-Canadians in the 1979 Stanley Cup Finals. And in fact, this was the last time that two original six teams met in the Stanley Cup Finals until 2013 when the Blackhawks defeated the Bruins. And the Rangers basically just fell victim to a dynasty. I mean, there's really no other way to say it. This was the Canadiens' fourth consecutive Stanley Cup championship, and they just were on a dominant run at this time. The series started well enough for the Rangers. They go into Montreal for Game 1. They get goals from Steve Vickers. Ron Greshner, Phil Esposito, Dave Maloney, and they post a 4-1 to victory in Montreal. But after that, the Canadians win four in a row, and most of them by fairly lopsided scores, including Game 2 here. The Canadians, the Canadians take a 6-2 to decision against the Rangers. The series shifts back to the Garden, and the Canadians win 4-1 to in that game to take a 2-1 to series lead. And then Game 4, really the key point in this series, the Rangers lose 4-3 to in overtime, and they led three different times in in regulation. Basically, the team's just trading goals all the way through. It goes into overtime, and at 7.25, Serge Savard scores for the Canadians, gives them a, a real stranglehold on the series, a 3-1 to series lead. 
And then Game 5 back in Montreal, the Canadians post a 4-1 to victory. Rick Chartra opened the scoring for the Canadians at 10:36. The Rangers get one back when Carol Vadnais scores at the 16:52 mark of the first period, but then the Canadians basically just roll in the second period. They get a goal from Jacques Lemaire, Bob Gainley, and again from Jacques Lemaire uh, at the end of the second period to make it 4-1, and that was indeed the final score. So the Canadians dashing the Rangers' hopes. Obviously, it's a bittersweet memory, I'm sure, for Ranger fans, for anyone who lived through that, because, you know, obviously they didn't get the result that they wanted. Even at the time, it had been many, many years since the Rangers had last won the Stanley Cup. But I think you also have to kind of appreciate what the Rangers did here in the postseason, of course, winning three series. They take care of the Los Angeles Kings in the preliminary round, beating them two games to nothing. And then you got to figure both both the next two series against the Flyers and Islanders, they've got to be considered upsets, at least if you base it on what the teams did in the regular season, because the Rangers were fifth in the NHL with 91 points. The Flyers were fourth with 95 points. The Islanders, though, led the way in the NHL with 116 points, and the Rangers knocked them off. Unfortunately, the Islanders' dynasty uh, basically immediately followed the Canadians' dynasty. Because in the four seasons that followed, the Islanders won the Stanley Cup every single year. But hey, at least the Rangers knocked them out of the playoffs this year and denied everybody a Canadians-Islanders Stanley Cup final matchup. In the future, we will dive into some of these uh, New York Ranger teams in some greater detail. You know, there's some books I want to be able to get my hands on. And, you know, on YouTube, you know, there's clips here and there. There's not really any great documentaries that I'm seeing. But maybe if I check out uh, the internet a little bit, I, I can find uh, some more information on some of these teams. Because like I said, I, I feel like these last couple episodes, I've just kind of given you guys the tip of the iceberg, and I'm sure there's more to learn about. Maybe we can even talk to some of the players that, that played on some of these Ranger teams. So definitely looking forward to doing that in the future. But that's going to pretty much do it for today, guys. Uh, once again, thank you for tuning in, as always. And just make sure you stay safe out there and stay healthy, and let's all just get through this whole thing together. Now go ahead and tell your smart device to play the latest episode of Locked On NHL. Thanks again, guys. I'll see you next time.